Welcome back to another episode of Cap and Trade. I am your host, Texans Cap. This is episode, I believe, 58, so we're getting a little collection of shows going now. Uh, if you don't, if you follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Texans Cap. If you prefer the written form, capandtrade.substack.com. Got a jam-packed show tonight. We'll be uh, getting our guest on here in about 30 seconds or so. Uh, but yeah, we got a lot, lot, lot of... I mean, just a jam-packed full of show. I don't even know how we're going to fit everything in, so we'll hopefully we won't blow through them too quick. But let's get our esteemed guest, Mr. Brad Spielberger, on here with us. Let me swap the backgrounds and see if he can find his microphone. <laughs> What's going on, man? What's going on? How are we doing? Good, good. Thank you for joining us, sir. Of course. Thanks for having me. First time I've uh, come on with, with cameras. So we have yeah, to look at yeah. Time. yeah. Last time it was uh, Twitter spaces when I had you on. So bit, uh, big improvement. Yeah. So face to face, better conversations. Um, of course, you're used to it now. Every time I turn around, you're you're on some show or on TV for that matter. So you're uh, expanding your world out there. But uh, if anybody, if, if you don't know, Brad works for Pro Football Focus. He's the Salary cap analyst expert over there, someone I lean on quite a bit. I think we probably chat almost multiple times a day at this point. Um, you know, Brad did a lot of work at overthecap.com, and he's a, he's a lawyer and very, 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 very smart dude and someone that, I, like I said, I lean on quite a bit. So, Brad, thanks for joining us. Got a lot to get to tonight. Man, I don't even know where to start. Just, yeah, I appreciate you having me. Uh, you know, I, I lean on you as well, and uh, I do. I upload the occasional contract and over the cap when I have time. Probably one one fraction of what you're doing, but I, I try to help out when I can. Yeah, <laughs> yep. No, it's uh, it's about to get the. Uh, we're about to get into the crazy season here in about a week or so, with uh, legal tampering starting next week, and we'll just be uh, cranking them contracts out. But um, I guess we'll start off with. The, the veteran quarterbacks, you know, we saw Derek Carr sign the sign his deal with the Saints. And and then we saw Dan, uh, Geno Smith right behind it. And then Daniel Jones with what many will say is just an unbelievable contract for him. And I, I mean, with the with the without Daniel Jones and I've been preaching it for like a month on this show, just like the middle class contract is coming back for the quarterbacks. It's coming back. It's coming back. I can feel it. You know, and then Derek Carr's contract, Geno Smith's contract, which when you look at them from a base value, they they should qualify for that middle of the road, middle class, upper middle class kind of contract because you know right now it's Jameis Winston at fourteen million per year, and then you jump up into the to the upper thirty. So it was good to see some of those contracts come in like that. And then we saw Daniel Jones come in with just absolute whopper, forty one APY over two years, eighty two, you know, ninety four virtually guaranteed at signing, and um. What's just your take on on some of these contracts that we're seeing with those three players? It, I mean, I, it's it's just I, to me the Daniel Jones is just an, is a is an overpay. Maybe it's a projection on New York New York's part, um, but I, I just don't see how. I would have rather paid Saquon Barkley fifteen million a year for two <laughs> years than paid this deal for Daniel Jones and put the tag on Jones versus what they're doing now. So, kind of, what's your read on the situation with the veteran quarterback market? Yeah, you know, I think we'll start with Jones. Uh, you know, I just think it's fascinating to to make any decision, a nine figure decision uh, on one season, right? Because we also have the evidence of this regime declined his fifth year option literally twelve months ago, or I guess even less than twelve months ago. And yes, look. 
things can change, things can grow. Once you actually work with a guy every single day versus, you know, monitor him from afar, I get that things can change. But he throws 15 touchdowns, five interceptions, has some great performances. Mostly, again, you know, I think Ed Donatel, he owes half his contract to the Minnesota Vikings defensive coordinator. But like you said, the big thing is we wanted this mid-tier contract to come back. You talk to people around the league and they say a lot of teams now are talking about how Look, the quarterback contracts are always going to grow. These guys do deserve a lot of money. But at a certain point, their APY, the growth, is exceeding the growth of the salary cap. And it's continuing to grow at a more exponential rate. So you almost wonder, is there an inflection point? Um, I'll tell you this. I don't know if I'm breaking news on the show. Not that it's super surprising. But the incentives also are not that hard to hit. So it it came out today from Mike Florio. Needs to be a top 15 quarterback. I don't even Um, know what that means. Now, I can tell you what that means. So if he is top 15 in in any of these years, in any of these categories, passing yards, total yards, because he obviously has the running capabilities, um, passing touchdowns, and I'm blanking on the fourth one now. But anyway, any of the four different categories, right. If he's top 15, he gets money. If he's top 10, he gets even more money. If he's top five, he gets even more. And you might think, look, I'm not a huge Daniel Jones fan, but – like passing touchdowns are pretty volatile. You go look at the the list of the top 15 touchdown passers in any given season. You're going to get some guys that you're kind of scratching your head. How is this guy in there? So he also, I think is going to earn some of those incentives as well. Um, I did. I did love the Geno Smith deal though. 25 million per year, the actual base value. You know, it's kind of hard to find a guy who's a journeyman for eight years and becomes your starter. But Hey, I think we did get, we got, we got a a mid tier deal. Yes. That was the epitome of a mid tier deal. And, yeah, and the whole my whole premise when I started talking about this about a month ago on the show, and I think I was using Derek Carr as an example, and I kind of wrote about it as well, is can you build a competitive roster where 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 the barrier is is if you have a middle of the middle of the class quarterback making top ten money, right? That's always been been the issue. Can you build a competitive roster with a top fifteen quarterback who's paid? with the 15 highest uh, contract structured properly, of course, can you build a competitive roster under that environment? Maybe it's not a Super Bowl winning, but you know, with any team, if you can make it into the playoffs and get hot at the right time, then you can maybe make a run. But that's always kind of been my argument with Carr and Geno Smith and, you know, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, whoever, if you can find that a quarterback who can give you a top 15 performance year over year or week over week, can you build a competitive roster around that? What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's it, the margin of error just becomes very thin, right? You can't have a couple bad bloated deals and miss on some picks and or, or have a series of draft classes where you just don't have a lot of hits, and that's hard to do, right? It's obviously, you know, if it wasn't hard to do, there wouldn't be a, you know, new GMs every couple of years in all these buildings. So I think it is a, a big constraint when you have the, the Kirk Cousins, the Derek Carrs on those just below the top tier. I will tell you, though, I think Geno Smith at $25 million per year, you now have Seattle sitting there with the 5th and 20th overall pick. They're still pretty healthy on the salary cap. They do kind of have, you know, not many avenues to clear more room, but they have a decent amount of room already. Um, and that roster, you know, two starting young tackles on rookie deals, um, two starting corners. Like, there's a lot of, you know, I think ways where – if he plays like he did last year um, and keeps that level up, which is you know obviously a big if, I think they could do it. With Carr in New Orleans, I mean, it's an older roster. You've had remarkable health from Cam Jordan and Demario Davis and all these guys that, like, you just you don't see that anywhere else. Um, 
Uh, so I think, you know, as bad as the NFC South is, I think that would be a challenge for them to, to really be a contender. Um, but yeah, Seattle, I think it's possible. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. And I think, you know, John Snyder kind of re-hit, kind of refound his groove last year with the draft. He kind of had a good little dry run there for, for John Snyder standards when it comes to draft and, and free agent evaluations. And it looks like he kind of found his groove last year and continues on this year. And it's like Pete Carroll's still young and spry and ready to go. So I, I'm with you there. I think that's a, a secret kind of under the radar competitive roster for this coming year. And if they hit a few more spots and sign another couple more players, and that's, that's going to be a, a very, you know, a, a roster that can easily make the playoffs and, you know, make a run deep into the playoffs. So, but yeah, I mean, we'll just say that, I mean, there's really not any other players. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is about the only other veteran quarterback out there in his market, depending on who you talk to, it's just all over the place. I've, you and I've talked about it. You know, you see Joel Corey today, put it out at, at 30 million a year. And I'm like, I love Joel to death, man, but that seemed like a bit, a bit overzealous, but I mean, it, his market could be anywhere from a one year, $10 million deal up to whatever, $25 million over a couple of years. But, you know, we'll just have to see if we, if the league, I feel like the league kind of put themselves in this position by, by letting their quarterbacks one up each other. When we had that run of Derek Carr and then Matthew Stafford, and then they were just seemed like the next quarterback would, add on two APY on, over the last one. It didn't matter what your performance was. And then you, then you run into the Kyler Murray contracts because of what the league has let the quarterback position command. So I'm hoping, like you said, there's an inflection point and we're going to, you know, the cap had the, the slow growth the last couple of years. So hopefully the cap growth and then the, and an inflection point with the quarterback contracts, we'll see maybe those middle of the class contracts coming back. I don't know. I can always be hopeful. <laughs> we'll see. But uh, but with that, you know, we saw a lot of news this week about Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets, the whole contingent flying over to California, including the owner, Woody Johnson. And I think when you when you see Woody Johnson's on on the plane, it's it's very, very serious. And, you know, I think this is something that's probably going to end up being if New York pulls the trigger on it, I don't, you know, I think there's no way they're getting two ones or anything like that. I think it's going to be like a, a two this year and a conditional pick next year that could fluctuate anywhere from a third round all the way up to a first round, depending on what Rogers wants to do. If he wants to play another year, things like that. The part that I'm more curious about is if he's able to finagle a bit of a contract adjustment on top of with this trade and pull a Deshaun Watson, not a fully guaranteed contract, but, Maybe a little bit of adjustment on it. We'll see. I, I feel like New York would probably do an adjustment just to kind of fit their structure and their path forward with the salary cap and how that contract would fit. But do you feel like that that trade is on the is heading towards down that path of a of of him joining the New York Jets? I think what you said is spot on, and we've seen this the last couple of years. When you get to the point where an owner of a different club is meeting with a player, or owner or head coach, GM, in this case, I think it was all of those guys, but is meeting with a player under contract with another team, like that's about as the, the biggest signal you can get that, hey, this thing is real. It's probably more about you know just figuring out if it's a fit from a personality standpoint. Like you said, the contract, I think, needs to be maneuvered, even if it's not an increase in pay, which I'm sure Roger is not opposed to. Um, you know, I think they would have to convert 
some of his salary and push it into like a roster bonus in 2024 and then parade it back into a signing bonus the day he gets on the new team or something. I mean, the Jets have like $2 million in cap space right now. Well, his and- his contract would only be like 15.7, I think, for a new team. The cap right, but isn't it the here. case that it's technically right. right now he has like a $60 million salary? Right. Right. Cash, so, right. you know. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I mean, yeah, we, I know this is the cap and trade. So don't get fully into the weeds, but um, <laughs> we do all yeah, the time. It is interesting to wonder if he also wants, you know, new money. I think it's he certainly could ask, and like you said, maybe not go full to Sean Watson, but he cares so much about the optics of him not trying to l- look as if he's trying to get as much money as possible. You know, he obviously forced it to get out there that his deal last year was for you know way less money than it actually is, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, you know, repped by arguably one of the best agencies in sports, and you know they don't take bad deals. So that was kind of funny that you know he, he had these details come out that were less than what he actually got. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I do think we're getting to the point where if you read some of the tea leaves, like I kind of do believe the Packers might want to just hit the reset, see what they have in Jordan Love, and try to start over and get younger and get cheaper at the position. Um, so I think it's more so if Rodgers is willing to go there. Um, but I think if he is, then I think it will get done. Yeah, I think, and you, you, you got to assume at this point that if the team, if the Jets are meeting with Rodgers, then New York and Green Bay has already discussed some sort of trade parameters to allow them to have permission to talk to him because he's under contract still. So no, I'm really surprised that no framework of the trade has leaked out. That's been that's pretty impressive. I think between those two between those two contingents, but I, it's wild, you know, and it's a big, it's a big deal. But like you said, Green Bay wants to get younger and hit the reset button. They're actually going to take a negative nine, a little over $9 million net cap effect going backwards just to trade this contract away at this point of the year. And that's a, you know, that's a big deal regardless of how you look at it going backwards, nine, nine million on a deal. So they're, and they're, they're upside down on the cap big time. So they're going to have to do just new Orleans style, massive restructures releases, however they want to go about it. But that's going to be a continued, continued rebuild as they hit, they hedge upon a growing salary cap or legal league salary cap going for the next two years. But I, I'm really excited to see Jordan love if this is the case and, and things start going forward. You know, we got a little, little peak of him last year and he displayed some, some positive characteristics and, you know, maybe Matt Lafleur and that and that group can get something out of Jordan Love. I mean, I'm not not entirely sure it would be a playoff ready team right off the bat this pat this front year, but it'll be a it'll be an interesting decision. And plus, they also have the decision on his fifth year option, right, coming up in May. And with the new CBA, it's fully guaranteed at at activation. So, I don't know what do you have any any anticipation on Jordan Love and what we might see from him? Is he going to be I mean, it'd be a basically a two-year experiment, I, I assume, at this point to yeah, see so if he's got it. You, you try not to, like, fall for narratives. And, of course, you're going to hear people say positive things. But I think you didn't really hear that the first year. Um, and now you kind of see some t- teammates coming out and saying, like, we think he could start. We think he's good enough. Um, and, obviously, practice is not the game. He played, what, like nine snaps against Philadelphia this year, and that was pretty much all he did. Um, did not look good the year before when he got in it. You know, but it's obviously hard to come in cold and play – you know, some random football snaps. But I, I do I think that the tone has shifted a little bit and the vibes have shifted. Obviously, infamously, they had Rodgers sitting in the wings for a couple of years behind Brett Favre, so they're not a stranger to the, the general approach. Um, look, yeah, he's not going to be Aaron Rodgers. There's no question about that. But 
You know, look, I'm a I'm a tortured Bears fan. For he's probably going to win the MVP next year, if I had to guess. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I think he'll be solid. I, I think there's a lot to like there. I just think there's going to be growing pains because he has not played much, you know, much competitive football. Because even at Utah State, it's not like he was playing. You know, it's not like if some guy who went to Georgia, sat a couple of years, and now is emerging. He's trying to play a different speed of football for the first time, really, in his career. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you there. It'll be. You know, I'm I'm just excited to see the kid. I mean, he showed just a little bit of, a little bit a uh, little bit of wow in that little one game he played last year. So I'm excited to see if because I mean, I, you know, Aaron Rodgers has only got a couple of years left, and uh, you want to see the new breed of young quarterbacks. You know, we've already got a good group of them over here in the AFC, and uh, the NFC needs needs a little additional firepower over there. So maybe Jordan Love can take up that slack. Um, before we move on to the next topic, if you're if you're listening in, make sure make sure you hit subscribe. Make sure you hit that like button. Really helps out the show. Really helps it get expanded out and for other viewers, you know, in the you, the world of YouTube and my favorite word, the algorithm. So, you know, if you haven't already subscribed, make sure you hit that subscribe button. All right. So the big one of the other big topics, according with quarterbacks, is Lamar Jackson. I think everybody. You, me, everybody was shocked when we saw the the non-exclusive tag. You know, just the the non-exclusive franchise tag, 32, $32 million and change. And then the more I sit here and think about it and see the way this is playing out, it makes sense, right? It's you you're you, you're telling the league or you're telling Lamar, okay, you don't you've rejected every offer we've given you, and there's been leaks, and you can believe whatever we want to believe on it on what those offers were. And and while those same reports show say that Lamar Jackson is just countered with a fully guaranteed without any, without, without any hesitation, but this is Baltimore telling Lamar, we're going to let the league show you the same thing that we've been telling you that you're not getting a fully guaranteed contract. The Watson deal is an outlier. And if somebody is willing to, show you anything above what we're willing to do. We're just going to match it. And we're, we just need somebody else to tell you what we've already been telling you. And at first, as soon as the exclusive tag came out, I was like, Oh, he's going to get offers. And then you just saw just, I mean, I've never seen so many teams leak out that they're not interested in a player. I mean, you saw every, almost every single team, whether it was through Diana Rossini or any other source, this team is not interested in pursuing Lamar Jackson. Now we'll see what happens after the draft. Maybe somebody misses on their player in the draft and they reevaluate and, and drum up an offer sheet for, for Lamar. But the second thing to this is, and Jason uh, Fitzgerald owns over the cap. He hinted at it. Joel Corey hinted at it. The teams don't like to do work for other teams. Why? Uh, if I'm team a, why am I going to put in the effort? Why am I going to have my contract staff spend hours researching and putting together an offer for Lamar, just knowing that Baltimore 99% chance is just going to match it right off the bat. Why am I negotiating the deal for them? And teams just don't like to do work for other teams. So what's kind of your read on that whole situation? I know I gave a lot of bullet points just on that one little rant there, but kind of what's your read on that situation? Yeah, I think everything you touched on is obviously – you know, makes a lot of sense once you do kind of take a step back and look through it. 
as to the, you know, I don't want to negotiate a deal for another team unless the team is willing to, you know, go to that Deshaun Watson fully guaranteed number. Or like you said, we don't know about the reports, especially in this case where there's no agent. But, you know, we heard around 135 million fully guaranteed at signing unless you're willing to go to like 180 or, you know, some number that's still dramatically larger than that. And you think maybe there is an outside chance Baltimore does not match it. Um, it is, you know, arguably a waste of your time and resources. I will say this. I, the team's all coming out immediately after he gets tagged. And yes, Rusini put a couple out. There was also multiple that came out directly from the team website and the reporter that works for the team website. And all due respect to those guys, they don't break news ever. No. <laughs> they, they, they respond to ESPN and NFL Network and what they put out. Um, and they don't know anything, and even though they're inside the building. And I found that a little bit strange. I'm not going to throw the collusion word out there and get, and get into the, the conspiracies of everything. But I guess I'll ask you this. I'll push this back to you. Even if, hypothetically, no one signed him to an offer sheet or no one signed him to an offer sheet that, that had the, the fully guaranteed Deshaun Watson-level money, if Lamar Jackson had an agent, and let's say he's one of the you know a, a major power broker agent in the NFL, do you think the teams yesterday – are putting out an hour after the franchise tag deadline window, we are not going to have a conversation with Lamar. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I, I, that's a very valid point that, yeah, because he's, you would presume that agent has other clients that those teams would be wanting to work with. And yeah, yep. that's not going to happen. And so that's a, a great point to bring up that, yeah, you can shoot those down because, you're not calling an agent. You're just calling Lamar directly. And apparently he's kind of an aloof individual on that front as well. So, I mean, I don't, it's just, I mean, I know he kind of marches to his own beat and I get that. And if he had an agent, maybe instead of 133 fully guaranteed, it would be 160 fully guaranteed or whatever the offer may have been. I just don't know what his expectations are. If he really truly thinks that he can get a fully guaranteed deal I feel like two years on the tag, which is probably his path, unless he's willing to concede on it, you know, 70 million, 71 million over the next two years. What is he going to be 28 or 20? Yep. Yeah. When he, when he hits the market, if the team doesn't do a third tag on him and yes, that's 28 is young for a quarterback, but is not as young as a quarterback. It plays the way he plays. Right. Right. And, if he shows the same type of health issues these next two years that he's displayed this past season, guaranteed, fully guaranteed contract, surely not going to happen even on an open market. So I just don't know what his, what his end goal is at this point. You know, if it feels like he's just going to have to concede or he's just going to play on the two dags and then be the levy on bell and, and just take whatever the market can give him and on free agency after that, I don't know. It's just a, a wild situation and I'm not saying not having the agent is a, is a major issue that's causing him to be at this point, but, and I'm, I'm all for players representing themselves. Yeah. And, you know, we, I, I know Tunsil and Bobby Wagner and, and those players, they have consultants, they have very, very smart individuals that help them through this process. It's not just, it's not just Laramie Tunsil on the other side of the table talking with the Texans. But with Lamar Jackson, I don't know that. And that's one thing I want to ask you. Does he – I mean, I know his mother helps him in some aspects, but I've never really heard much about what kind of contingency group he has supporting him beyond the NFLPA. 
Yes. So that is my understanding. Cause even a guy on the Baltimore Ravens himself or in Roquan Smith, who just got a, you know, just to reset the market at linebacker does not have an agent, but does have a, a, a an advisor named St. Omni who has apparently negotiated the or, for Tunsil. Yep. There you go. Okay. So yeah, I knew he'd done other deals. I don't know specifically which deals those were, but right. Yep. So someone who, who, and again, I agree with you. I'm not saying every guy has to have an agent. All those guys you mentioned did well. DeAndre Hopkins did well. Uh, Richard Sermon maybe should have had an agent, but, uh, but anyway, like, my understanding is he does not have a financial advisor or a negotiating, you know, partner. It really is just him and his mom. Again, you know, all the power to you. Do whatever you want. I'm not saying I'm not telling you how to live your life, but then it's like, like you mentioned, there are also legitimate concerns. Got hurt the last two years, missed a decent amount of time. Um, and, and if you, again, it's all you know. I know it's speculation, all that, but I've heard the same that essentially the Ravens will send an offer and he'll just respond like. Is there 230 million fully guaranteed? If not, then I don't care. Like, there's not even really a back and forth. And as you know, um, which I almost think to a degree is silly, but they go back and forth a ton of these deals. It takes it takes a long time. Um, it is not some like oh we we agree on a similar range and we get there. Like no, they start very far apart and they chip away at it and work their way towards the middle. And if you don't have a back and forth, and you're not really gonna you know you're not gonna get there. Yeah, that's I mean that's that's a very good point, and that's. I always bring the always bring up the Laramie Tunsil ex- example. Whenever he signed his extension with Houston at twenty two million per year, he came to the table at twenty eight. That's how high up he was. And like you said, you chip it away, chip it away, and you find that middle ground. And when you're doing a contract at this magnitude, this is not a veteran salary benefit deal, one year, hundred fifty two thousand signing bonus. This is multiple millions of dollars where every single line item has to be double checked to make sure that language matches what you're, you're looking for. The team's probably more than likely going to have insurance on, on your signing bonus and certain guarantees. And it's just, I mean, these contracts at this kind of player, it's not going to be Pat Mahomes level, but because that's a crazy contract, but it's still going to be 20, 30 pages that just line, just very, very specific, especially in the default and the default on guarantees uh, language in there. I mean, it's so crucial to make sure your 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 yourself is covered appropriately, and that's what another thing that an agent can do is know that information, know what teams, what you know, if you're negotiating with this team or this team, what their tendencies are, what their languages are going to be like in the contract, so that you can get in front of that and protect yourself. Because I mean, if Lamar and his mom or whoever is helping him misses one line in there, and he misses a team meeting or something yeah it could be enough to default guarantees if he doesn't read that language properly and i'm not saying lamar's not a smart guy maybe you know he's got it all covered i don't know it's just a it's a wild situation i like you said having nobody behind him is just baffling to me when you've got your own yourself as an asset that's worth you know two three hundred million dollars and you don't have you're not willing to at least pay something for somebody to help you out. Just, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. If I, if I had that, we're much available money on the for table. cheap. If you're listening, yeah. Mark, you know, we'll, we'll take, we'll take way less than 3%. I promise you that 0.5%. I'm, I'm cheap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it it's, it's great. And we'll see. Maybe, maybe we'll get an offer sheet. Maybe we won't. I, it seems like nothing's going to really happen at any, any time soon. Or we'll, right. we're going to wait to see how the rest of the, uh, I think maybe once we get past the draft and see how things sort out at the draft and 
you know, if there's a run on quarterbacks or anything like that and somebody, excuse me, somebody with it whiffs on getting the guy they want, maybe they circle back to Lamar and think about it, but we'll see. But, uh, excuse me. So we saw the tags, nothing really crazy there. It was actually pretty quiet, you know, three running backs, six players total. Um, no, no big surprises. Um, and Orlando Brown was the only one that was kind of surprised. Didn't get a franchise, get, didn't get a second tag with uh, Kansas city. So he'll, he'll get to see the open market, but I mean, they're really, this was kind of a dud from a franchise tag standpoint. And that kind of just shows, and we, We've said it on here, and I'm sure you said the same thing on other shows, that free agency this year is just going to be ugh, gonna be not very much fun <laughs> compared to other years. There'll be a few exciting sightings, but nowhere near other free agency classes. So that part's going to be a little boring, but we'll kind of we'll shift gears. So the draft and quarterbacks. And you're a big Chicago guy. You're clued into Chicago stuff. I'm a big fan of Houston, not so clued into stuff, but we've got a lot of varying interest here. You're at 1.01. I'm at 1.02. Got a lot of heat coming up behind us. What is Chicago going to do at 1.01 in your opinion today? I know this is a fluid situation. Things can change in the next 20 minutes. But kind of what's your read? What do you think Chicago's thinking? What kind of timeline are they working on? Just kind of give a 30,000-foot view of of, of the situation in your point. A couple interesting, you know, I, th- I think aspects to this. So I, I do think in an ideal world for them, they are going to trade down. I don't think they want to stick at 1.01. Um, you know, not that they're not in love with the prospects, but I think they just recognize we already have a quarterback in our mind. We can get better value by, you know, accumulating more assets. I mean, this roster is barren. It's it's worse than Houston's, in my opinion. And I know I'm not saying that to make a joke. Like, I think people probably have said the Texas are the worst roster. I think, you know, the, the Bears is worse. I really do. Um so, um, you know, and, and here's the thing that I found interesting over the course of conversations in Indianapolis was, and to be clear, I'm not saying I talked directly with the Chicago Bears on this, but they don't, they're not afraid to trade a little pretty far. I think the conversation early was they want to go to Houston at two, maybe and get a, just a couple assets, probably not even get a first round pick, but just get something or go to four with Indy, maybe get a 2024 first in that scenario, uh, but still not like some massive package. And the thinking was, you get one of Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, and you kind of just play it safe. I, I now am very much so of the belief that Las Vegas at seven, Atlanta at eight, Carolina at nine, even Tennessee at 11. Um, like, I think any option is on the table. I think they are open to getting the 2024 first, 2025 first, maybe even add in a day two pick on this year as well, um, and going for that godfather package. It's, it's not viewed as a particularly great draft class um, this year maybe outside of quarterback, like if you wanted somebody else, there's not, you know, Anderson's a great player, but I think outside of him, especially now with the legal situation with Carter, like there aren't the Nick Bosa's or the, you know, Quinn Williams type guys that have all this buzz. He's a, he's a can't miss type player. So I'd be shocked if it's not traded. I think it could be truly from two to 11. I wouldn't be surprised. The last piece, which I find very interesting, and I'm curious on your thoughts here as well. I had a couple conversations today with people that I, I respect and trust that think it really could happen before free agency begins on March 15th, which just for a little bit of background, Sam Darnold trade when the, when the Jets came up for the Colts happened on March 17th, which I want to say was like the first day of free agency or very early on. Yeah, yeah. And then Trey Lance in, in Miami, I want to say was like early April or late March. So relatively close, but 
to my knowledge, like I don't think we get a, a draft trade in the top five or top ten before free agency opens all that often. But I was told they want that to happen because they want to know, all right, what should we attack in free agency now that we know where we are on the board? Yeah, and it that's one path. And then I think if they accumulate an extra day two pick, an extra day three pick, whatever, in, in addition to the ones – and as you've noted many times on, on your Twitter timeline of the, the spending that Chicago is going to have to do this year, maybe they take one of those twos and trade for a big contract on a player, right? Whether it's DeAndre Hopkins or, or something like that. And I think that's a piece of that puzzle as well to know. Not only do we know we are early on in the draft and we know what group of players that will be there helps us align our free agency path, but I think having that extra draft capital early can also help with the trade market for them. So that would kind of be my read on the situation. And I think it's, I think it's great. I mean, I, I, I know the NFL would love to, to have this drag out until like the week of the draft to have that number one draft pick traded on that kind of timeline. But the opening of free agency is also one of the biggest calendar days of the year for the NFL. And so having a, big draft day tra- dra- draft trade of that at- of that magnitude early on in the process would be another big win for the league and i you know i've just never seen a gm this publicly vocal about what he knows he can get i mean just clearly coming around saying i know i can get a 2024 one i know i can get potentially a 2025 one maybe more and you know i thought at first it was at the combine where casario was talking about draft value charts and how things don't align with. And then Ryan Poles was saying, I could have sworn. And I texted one of my, one of my other buddies and said, it, it really sounds like Casario and Poles are negotiating through the media right now with their, <laughs> their combine interviews. And he said, yeah, that's pretty much how I read it too. But now you, like you said, you've got all these other players potentially willing to make the leap up. It's just going to be a feeding frenzy. And do you, do you, do you even think it's on the, a possibility that they do like a double trade down. Like if they can trade down to, to say four and then on, on, on draft day, swing back another one from four to nine or whatever, you think that's on the table for them or would they just stay put? I think they'd be, they would be open to it. I think he pulls, you may have said that, that he would, yeah, if the right opportunity presents itself, I'm happy to move down multiple times. Maybe you think you can kind of maximize things to a degree. Let's say you go to four and, you know, let's say two quarterbacks come off the board, but then at three, you know, maybe teams aren't calling Arizona, which would kind of surprise me. But let's say that's the hypothetical. And then, you know, you're sitting there at four and you're thinking, you know, let's say Anthony Richardson is still there. Let's say Stroud and Levis are gone. Anthony Richardson is still there. And you have, you know, Detroit at six. Again, the same teams I mentioned all the way down to 11. And you basically say, hey, yeah, we'll, we'll, tra- we'll trade this pick as well. I think it's I think it's possible. I'm sure the Bears would love it. But that sounds like, you know, uh, that, that's a, pie a little more Madden pie in the sky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So, but the part, the part that I, ever since the Jalen Carter news came out, I've been admin on this, on this channel, that on this show, that that one piece of news weakened the draft trade possibilities for Chicago. Yeah. I was adamant that Arizona is now in the driver's seat. And, after conversations today, I, I'm starting to change my opinion again. I'm not completely sold on it yet, but I'm starting to get a little more open to the idea of Chicago making the move. 
and I'm still op- and I still think Arizona is going to be a big player. And I just, as a fan, this time I try to. I have two hats. I have the analyst hat and I have the fan hat. As a fan hat, I hope Nick Casario and company can just sit tight at two, watch all the fire or fireworks go on around them, above them, below them, whatever, and just sit there at number two and take their guy, whoever that may be. And you know, this channel, this show hopes it hopes it's Bryce Young, but. The thing that you start seeing the tea leaves is you see folks who, you know, I think are very smart, very clued in, like Eric Balco, who will say, who tweeted out today, this morning, there's a chance that QB could go one, two, three. Uh, Matt Miller kind of echoed that same sentiment. And based on everything that we're seeing and, and some of the things we're talking about tonight, it feels like that's that might happen, that you may have somebody make the giant leap up the one and then the the leftovers are fighting over the other quarterback and they make a leap up to number three and, you know, maybe even a leap up, you know, then whoever's at number four. I mean, we may very well see a big amount of shuffling among the top six, seven draft picks angling for these quarterbacks. If this is the, and we all, this is still early folks. So, I mean, things can change. It's all like everybody says, smoke and mirrors, a lot of lion season, whatever, but I've just never seen this much fire this early on when it comes to the draft class, the amount of fire that I'm seeing offline with offline conversations is stuff that you see a week out from the draft, not a week out from the opening of free agency. So it's just wild to me. And I, I, I wonder if we're going to see a, a waterfall effect that if Chicago makes a trade next week, is Arizona going to follow right behind it and make right. another trade? I mean, it just, it it's fascinating to see. I, I don't know what to expect, but do you, do you, do you buy into that, that there's going to be a run on quarterbacks early? So we do have the same timeline where I think even in Indy, when the Carter news dropped and, and I'll say it's kind of a funny anecdote, but it, it happens. And I actually, so a coworker texted another coworker who for people don't know. I mean, we, we meet with all 32 teams in Indy. Um, yeah, I won't get into what it's about or anything, but, and he texted a coworker like, Hey, you know, do you see this Carter news? And, and the, the the coworker is in a meeting with the with the club and was like, "Hey, have you guys seen this news about Jalen Carter?" And they had no clue. Like nobody had a clue. And he said a couple of people had to like leave the meeting and go and go figure things out and talk to people. So, um, like that's how much it like it really was not on anyone's radar and, and kind of d- does shake everything up. So I agreed with you then, but I also agree with you now. Where. It's starting to seem like there's enough buzz on one. Like you said, we've never really seen a GM like like polls. I think he told Peter King on the record, like, yeah, I have I have offers on the table for future first, and I, I know I could take it, and all these things, um, which I think is interesting. I think it is possible because I think once the trade from one happens, and if you're sitting there in your Arizona, and look, they also are a team that I mean, every position is a need on that roster. They're, they're yes. in a bad shape. Um, they're probably going to trade away DeAndre Hopkins. It seems like in the near future as well. Like they. they they would be behooved to not sit there and to go down. So yeah, maybe well, if we get two trades out of the top three before we even get to the draft, I mean, that would be wild, but it, it seems possible. Yeah. No, I, I think it, it might see some fireworks. We'll see. It might even be the point where the draft trades overshadow free agency <laughs> at this point. So, but uh, yeah, so we'll, you know, like I said, Chicago's at 1.01, Houston at 1.02. And I, I, maybe Houston can just sit there and be quiet, keep their, sit on their hands and watch everything else happen around them. But in that same vein, and the biggest talk around Houston in the past 24 hours was Jonathan Jones report that 
someone, some among the staff are, are pushing for Jimmy Garoppolo to be signed so that he could come in and start and have a rookie sit and learn. Now, I think the sentiment across most fans is no thank you or B, if we're drafting Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or whoever at 1.02, not named Anthony Richardson, why do we need Jimmy Garoppolo to start? Those two players are start ready, ready to go week one, or they should be. But do you do you sign a Jimmy Garoppolo and then draft a player like Anthony Richardson? Because you're certainly not going to get him at pick 12, and you don't want to have to make a jump up from 12. You just take him at two if that's the case. But, do I mean, do you buy any of that with, with Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean, it feels like his market's kind of shrinking pretty quickly. I think it's all going to hinge on Aaron Rodgers, and if he make, if he ends up going to New York, because I think Jimmy Garoppolo would be a fit in New York because of the system and the familiarity with Salah. But I really don't know where else Jimmy Garoppolo could go. Maybe Las Vegas, if they didn't want to trade up with, with, with McDaniels there. I really don't foresee a fit there in Carolina with Jimmy Garoppolo. So I feel like his market might be shrinking a little bit. And I certainly right don't there. Oh, oh sorry. Sorry. And I certainly don't foresee a contract like Derek Carr or anything like that on the horizon for him. You you said earlier, we both think the world of Joel, Joel Corey is one of the best in this space. But yeah, I would be shocked if, if Garoppolo is even getting close to that money. Um, frankly, just because even ignoring that I think Carr is probably a better player, I mean, his health concerns are almost every season he's played, he has not finished the year out. So, and I think teams are wary of that. And then, secondly, as you mentioned, if, if Rodgers goes to the Jets, I think that does take away by far his top place and, and a team he could at least use as leverage um, to get a better deal. Vegas, of course, he has the connection to Josh McDaniels, but they've kind of made it clear if they are going to go a bridge route, they'll probably just trot out Jarrett Stidham. Not that Raiders fans are going to be stoked about that, but, you know, like trot him out and then maybe they make a draft play or, or do something different. But why spend an extra, I don't know, 8 to $10 million on Garoppolo if you kind of think both are your bridge to the future anyway? Um, so, yes, I, I, maybe he goes to Houston, maybe he goes somewhere, but I think it's closer to like 10 to 15, probably full of incentives that could push it to 20 maybe. Um, but I, I don't see him getting any anywhere near the Derek Carr contract. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, yeah, if you got any questions, throw them up on the board. For some reason, it's not letting me post my own comments, but – We'll get to some of the questions here very, very quickly. I think uh, Ryan had one question that kind of was the same bullet point that I had. But uh, one other person, and this is very Texans-related, so Brandon Cooks, uh, he wants out of Houston. It's very clear. I don't I don't foresee that changing. I don't foresee D'Amico Ryans and them trying to talk him into staying. I, I think he's just ready to go. You know, what it, what do you foresee the trade value with him giving, given this weak free agency class for wide receivers? There's no game changers in the draft. He's due 18 million fully guaranteed base salary and then another, I think, 500,000 and, and per game roster bonuses. And then he's got a, uh, a fifth day league year roster bonus, I think three or five million next year. So any team that acquired him not only would have that guarantee this year, they would have a very early decision to make next year. Do you, where do you think his trade value, if the contract wasn't touched, 
if Houston didn't take on anything, given the market we're in right now, what, what do you think his value is from a trade aspect? Yeah, so the one thing I think, or two things working in his favor to counter that, because I, you know, of course, agree with you on every aspect there is, the free agent class is bad, and the draft class is not viewed as a very good draft class. I mean, there are a couple names. I'm sure we'll get the guys that come off in the first as always, but compared to the last couple of years, it's not even in the same stratosphere. So I do think they can still get a third-round pick for them. I don't think they're going to get a second-round pick or a first-round pick, even if it's in a swap scenario. And even if they do get a third-round pick, maybe it's somewhat you know reminiscent of – the, the New England Patriots last year, I think it was um, Devontae Parker and a fifth for a third. So not actually, you know, not just getting a third round pick, but kind of a swap situation. Um, I think it falls somewhere in that realm. Uh, but look, I mean, I mean, been a productive player everywhere he's been. But yeah, the contract, is, you know, the contract's tough. And, and as you know, as everyone you know should know, NFL player trades are as much about the contract that comes with the player as they are about the player's talent and production, you know, themselves. Yeah, and I, I don't know if, you know, you and I talk about it a lot with the cash for, for draft picks, things like that. I really don't know if this contract will fall in that same vein. Maybe you can buy a little bit of additional capital by taking on some of the contract. If you take on $8 million of the $18 million and it moves it from a fifth rounder or a fourth rounder, but you know, that's not really in the vein of, of buying a draft pick because you're not – you're not getting anything back for, for the cash that you're spending. So we'll see. I, I I'm with you on that. I've pretty much been in that, that ballpark, that, uh, that thought process with him, but it feels like it's more when, not if, when it comes to Brandon cooks and being on this roster. And I think a lot of people are still mad at him for having the game of his career, not of his career, but the game of his best season, best game of the season, in week 18 against Tennessee, which led to this whole nonsense of being at 1.02 instead of 1.01. So I think thank everybody's ready. All, thank you from all Bears fans. I'll cut you off. Thank you from all Bears fans, Brandon Cooks. We appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, man, he just decided to show up. So got a, got a few questions up here. We'll run through these before we close it down. Let's see here. So TJ says, I love free agent targets, Tremaine Edmonds and Paris Campbell. What do you think Paris Campbell would cost? Need nice be cheaper pickup. So we did on before I let Brad answer on Tremaine Edmonds last Friday. I did a contract building session for him. Came in at eighteen point seven months, eighteen point seven five million per year. I think Brad, you've been saying around nineteen million. It's going to be a very strong contract. He'll be a top five paid linebacker. He's only twenty five and. He'll fit in. He's got many play, many places that he could fit in at. But for Paris Campbell, I haven't really dug too deep into him. What you got to read on that situation? That's funny. I actually have Edmonds at eighteen point seven five on the right. website. So hey, look at look at you and I uh, seeing things eye to eye there. Um, and, and that in part, I should say just real quick, because I think he could be a Texans target. That's based on conversations with three or four clubs in Indy last week. He's going to get a great deal, but. Um, Paris Campbell, I have him in the like eight to ten million per year range. There are some injury question marks there, of course. I mean, basically didn't play the first couple of years of his career, but held up the entire seventeen game season last year, or, or you know, seventeen games last year. I think he had at least four catches in like nine or ten of those games. So it wasn't just that he was healthy; he was actually contributing in a lot of those contests. Again, because of how bad the market is, 
and how many young good receivers are there very few um you know can, can be a not like a, a burner but has some speed out of the slot also can be your short area you know underneath player with some yards after the catch um so yeah I, I think in that seven to ten per range and again in part because there's just not a lot of competitive you know wide receivers on the market this year yeah and I, that's an interesting name because yeah i'm looking at his uh combine metrics 431 40 yard dash 98th percentile 97 percentile and speed score burst score 40 yard dash so that's something desperately this team needs is a burner that can uh open up the field because this assumes john mechie returns and nico collins continues on he's a he's more of a midfield big 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 type of wide receiver so yeah paris campbell would be an interesting player to look at from that aspect, knowing that this team needs a burner at at the wide receiver spot, Cook says a <laughs> Cooks in a number two for one, number one. I'm 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 sure the Bears would say no to that. <laughs> um, let's see here. All right, so Ryan, friend of the show, says if uh, Jimmy G draft. Dress on the first round, could Mills get traded and what would his value be? So that, I did have that as a bullet point, but I saw Ryan's question, so I left it be. Yeah. Eight. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Eight. No. I'm against trading Mills. I, I think having a player of his capabilities two years in the league at that contract is a huge asset to have as a backup quarterback. I think it would just if there's some kind of person, you know, some kind of issues behind the scenes, which it doesn't seem to be Davis Mills MO, he's very much a go with the flow kind of guy from, from my read of the situation. But, but to answer the question, he was a third round draft pick has two years of service in showing some little flashes here and there. I don't, a third, maybe a second round pick, maybe his value. I don't, I don't know. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, I was going to say third or fourth. Um, like you said, just, just showing competency at quarterback does definitely get you in a decent range. You see even guys like what Kyle Allen went for a fifth-round pick a couple of years ago uh, to, to rejoin Ron Rivera. I want to say he had a year left and then an RFA availability left, so kind of like a two-year, you know, two years remaining, if I remember that situation correctly. Um, but I also I, I do agree with you. I mean, I think it's underrated – when you don't have to spend at that backup quarterback spot because you have a cheap rookie contract and a guy that look, let's say hypothetically the rookie comes in, he is your day one starter and you know, you're competitive in a, in a down division and he has to make two or three starts because of injury or whatever. He could go one and two or maybe even two and one in that situation. And, and there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm not a definitely wouldn't want to trade him. I would hate to see him get traded away, but Maybe there's a, a another opportunity out there for him, but I think that's just too valuable of an asset for this team to to give up. All right, let's see what other questions we got here. I says was announced that Reeves Maven. Thank goodness that contract's going away. Um, so yeah, Aaron Wilson reported to this afternoon that Jalen Reeves Maven, linebacker for the Texans, will be released at the start of the new league year. So. The reason why that's not happening now is because he has a $1.25 million salary guarantee. So the team has to wait till the March 15th to process that release. Uh, there will be a little bit of cap savings with that, but who do we else see on the chop chopping block? 
I really don't see too many other names. I, I would say maybe Christian Kirksey, um, just by way of like what Brad was saying with Tremaine Edmonds or or maybe another. There's a couple of linebackers in free agent market that that are intriguing to me, and there's a couple in the draft. But I think there's some a way to find improvement without breaking the bank with replacing Christian Kirksey. Eric Murray, I think, probably stays. I know a lot of folks want him gone just because of the Bill O'Brien stink with that contract. He's the last one here from that uh that whole that whole big old mess. But um really I mean, they've already, you know, they let go of Justin Britt. They let go, you know, and Reeves Maven's gonna be going away. I think Christian Kirksey. And there's really not too many other players. I mean, I think uh I think a majority of the players their cost is so low that it doesn't benefit to to let them go and pay another player the same, if not more, to backfill that that role. So I don't know, Brad, I know that's more Houston Texan related. I don't know if you have any other names that pop into your head concerning. Murray was the one I put on an article I do every year on cap casualties. Kirksey was the other option I was going to pick. I will say, look, I mean, D'Amico Ryan's obviously, you know, linebacking legend. I'm sure they do want to upgrade there, but even Kirksey's deal is not all that bad. And he showed durability last year, which has more been his issue. He's been a good player when he can play. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's those two names. And, and I think, like you said, anyone else, are they are they are they really saving that much once they replace that contributor? Probably not. Yeah, and it, those are guys you, like you said, the replacement cost is the same. So you keep them, you keep them here, take them into camp, see how they fit in the new system. If it don't fit in the new system, then you make your move. Then so there's really no difference. This is a question for you, Brad. Is Edmonds a quality cover guy like Fred Warner type? No one is a quality cover guy like Fred Warner. Uh, he is, in my opinion, the best cover linebacker in the NFL by like a decent margin. Um, but Edmonds is really good. Uh, was, was took a massive stride last year. Um, I, I will say coverage grades for off-ball linebackers is an area that I think PFF is frankly struggles with because some, some defensive systems ask their linebackers to do a lot. Some ask them to do very, very little. Um, but I do think he had a decent, you know, decent role and was asked to do a lot last year in Buffalo and lived up to the task, um, you know, not, not just looking at grade, but also, you know, yards per coverage snap against. He was top five in pass breakups. Like there were a lot of good metrics there. So he's very good. I think he look, he's going to be 25 years old. He's a freak athlete. He can get even better because I think the game is slowing down for him a little bit. And that's so important in that position right now. But no, yeah, Fred Warner is one of the best coverage linebackers we've seen in years. Yeah. No, with you there. Yeah, that's whenever I did my my contract session on Edmonds, that's the same thing I saw. Like you saw the the burst on performance from year three to year four for him. Um or was it year four to year five? I can't remember. But uh there was a big swing up on every grade according to PFF for him. And you just you know, San Francisco nailed the projection with Fred Warner because he didn't have those numbers when they when he signed that extension, and he slid right into it right when the extension occurred. But Edmonds, whether it's a contract year or whatever, he showed everything that you want out of a linebacker. And I, th- despite what you said about the coverage grades from PFF, his coverage grade was very very strong with compared to other linebackers. So I, I'm I'm a big fan. I hope they sign him. I put him next to Christian Harris and let Edmonds man the mic roll and keep Harris on the, on the will side. And I think that would be a fantastic linebacker duo for, for this defense, for D'Amico Ryans for the next three or four years. 
and I'll just just, just jump in too. Yeah. So you know, talk to some people in Buffalo about him. He wears the green dot. He gets everyone in the, in the place they're supposed to be. And, and yeah, they said the jump is not crazy to them because it's also like sometimes we think of just like, oh, is is the guy bad or good? Like no, like the game just slowed down for him because I think they said everything kind of clicked this year. He always had the ability and the talent. It was a matter of play recognition, diagnosing things. Um, but they said, yeah, that all kind of came together this year. And they weren't, it wasn't like a, Hey, he had a great contract year. Cause he wants to get paid. I think, I think things just kind of, you know, got a little bit easier for him. Yeah. I think, you know, they had a good front. I think being, uh, neck, working next to Matt Milano is also a good contributing factor, but I, that's the same thing that I think you would see here. I think him and Christian Harris would really, budge off of each other. Buffalo has a very had a very good front, and that's an area that Houston has a lot of concern. That's a big need for them is finding somebody that can man the middle of the defensive line with next to Malik Collins, because Malik Collins, I don't you know, he may only be here for another year or two. So the Houston really needs a foundational player in the trenches on the defensive line and the ball. But I think like you said, I think all the points you bring up, I think Edmonds is his arrows pointing up regardless of where he lands, where he goes and plays. And it'll stay up because he's only 25 years old. All right, let's see here. Will the Texans re-sign Aikens? I haven't really heard anything, but I I see no reason not to. Um, you know, he played well last year. He get, he'll be a good tight end two, tight end three. The reason you may see a delay on that one is because of the draft class. Both the free agency class with tight ends and the draft class, the draft class is stacked with tight ends. So Aikens may be a player that Houston waits until after the draft to re-sign based on how things sort out between the free agency and the draft, unless Aikens is willing to take just a dirt cheap one to $2 million deal. He may have to wait until after the draft, but I don't know. Have you, I don't know if you have any numbers or thoughts on Jordan Aikens from, from your perspective, Brad. I see it the same way. I mean, this yeah. class, and it's not just top-heavy. Sometimes we fall in love with the top-heavy draft. Like, it is also a deep tight end class. They think you can find starters in the third and fourth round. Um, I, I don't think any of those kind of, you know, lower-tier guys are getting really much of anything in free agency. So, yeah, maybe he's back. I think he's a solid solid contributor. There's no reason not to, but it's not going to break the bank. Yeah. Got a uh... – Contract predictions for Dalvin Tomlinson and Garrett Bradbury. So Bradbury has been a big topic for Houston fans and and Tomlinson because he's obviously an interior defensive line. Minnesota pushed back his uh, his void date back to March 14th, the day before uh, the league year starts, trying to continue working out a deal between them two. Um, but Bradbury has been, been a very popular name here in Houston because Houston really needs a center despite re-signing Scott, Scott Quesenberry today. He's going to be a depth guy. But uh, Bradbury coming from a zone scheme that Minnesota has run the last few years, which is what is expected here in Houston. So uh, you've got a lot of knowledge on Minnesota just from your time there as well. What do you? What are your expectations from contract for these two players? And do you think specifically on Bradbury, do you think he gets away from Minnesota? Yeah, two 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 former Minnesota guys. Um, you know, Thompson was not there when I was there. Bradbury was the flashy new first round pick. 
Uh, I think the year after I got, or the year before I got there. So I actually love Tomlinson as a fit. I have him around $11 million per year. I think he'll get in that 10 to 12 million per year range. I think he fits well opposite Malik Collins as more of he can't play three technique and, and can rush the passer. I think he's better served as a nose tackle um, that, you know, it can do a lot of, but he, you know, he's versatile. Um, Garrett Bradbury, I get it. I know Bobby Slowick, by the way, PFF legend Bobby Slowick. Um, you know, I, I know he's probably going to bring that that zone scheme, and and Bradbury was drafted because he is a good fit in running that outside zone scheme. But I'll tell you now, uh, not the best pass protector. Got a little bit better this past year, but you know, he's a guy that that fans like to tweet angrily about on Twitter because he lets his quarterback get hit from time to time. So good fit. I think he's going to get in the five to seven million per year range. Um, definitely not you know anything big, but. Because he has the first round pedigree, because he's young, because he's not horrible, I just don't think he's been great. Um, you know, he'll get he'll get something. So in that same vein, Ethan Posick, a little bit more. I money. think we get about seven, seven and a half. So so a little bit more. Uh, I've heard some positive things there. Not again, not not great. I, I think he probably wants even more than that. Um, was great in Cleveland, but you know, Bill Callahan, the offensive line coach, all he does is bring guys in and just make them into superstars. And so I I, I think yes. some te- <laughs> yeah, that's all the guy does. So. You know, I think he'll do pretty well. Um, he is also a very good fit in this offense. Like, that's a guy I think the Bears should target because they run a similar scheme. So, I guess Houston as well. Um, I'd, be, I'd be more excited about him, frankly, than Gary Bradbury. All right, one more. So, wide receiver, DJ Chark. Around 10. I think similar to what he got last year in Detroit, which was the one-year $10 million flyer. He did miss a ton of time. I want to say he was out from week like 4 to 11. But he was pretty darn good down the, down the last six weeks of the season. Of course, when they were getting hot and winning games and, and putting up a lot of points, um, you know, it was like top 20 in yards per reception. And and a lot of, you know, he's that's, that's who he is. He's 6'4", and runs a 4-3-4. And had, I think he averaged 17 and a half yards per reception. So you talk about a field stretcher, adding some speed. You know, he is that guy. Again, because of how bad this class is, I think he'll get you know around ten to eleven million per year. All right, all right. Well, I think that about covers everything. I know we hit all my talking points. Had a lot of good questions on here, Brad. I appreciate the time, sir. I'm sure we'll be in touch in the coming days, and uh, appreciate it, sir. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, with that, make sure you follow Brad at pff underscore Brad on Twitter. Works for Pro Football Focus. And as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Texans Cap. DMs are open if you ever got any questions, but, uh, you know, I appreciate the support. Appreciate everybody listening in watching tonight. And with that, we will shut it down. Everybody have a good night. Thanks. Thanks.